Well, in 1996, astronomers did something never done before. They decided to take a risk and point the most sought-after telescope, the Hubble telescope, up in space at nothing for 10 days. Would it be a waste? I mean, with so many people wanting to look at so many things in space, why point this telescope for 10 full days at nothing? Well, that's exactly what they did. It was close to the Big Dipper, and you can see this little L shape in the middle. That's where they pointed it. It was void of any stars or planets or galaxies. It was just black, and it was the size of a grain of sand held out at arm's length. Imagine the scope of the sky, but we're going to focus for 10 days now at this dark little speck the size of a grain of sand. Well, the longer you stare at a single patch of sky with the telescope, the more light you allow to be collected and to be brought in to reveal perhaps something or perhaps a big nothing. If it failed, it would have been a waste of over a week of observing time on this Hubble Space Telescope. But if it succeeded, perhaps it could reveal a glimpse of the universe in a way we've never seen it before. So as the time passed, all of these feeble signals collected, having been emitted who knows how long ago, and as they traveled, even though it was the speed of light, traveling, 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 and now for these 10 days, it was all being gathered together. And when the images were processed... They found one of the most profound and most humbling images. They found that over 3,000 galaxies were part of that little speck, that black grain of sand in the sky. And each one of these 3,000 galaxies contained in and of each of themselves billions of stars. Later in 2004, they did it again. This time, they pointed the telescope to black near the constellation Orion. They opened the shutter for 11 days with four complete orbits around the Earth using detectors of increased sensitivity now in 2004 and using filters that allowed more light through than ever before. With updated technology, they were able to put together this 3D-type image that you can see progressing on your screen. This time, over 10,000 galaxies appeared in what has become known as the ultra-deep field. This was the furthest we'd ever seen into the universe before. And by taking what they found and then applying it to the rest of the sky, you mathematicians out there, okay, if that's what's here in this speck, if we were to assume that all around us we have something similar to this, their conclusion was an estimate of over 100 billion galaxies in the heavens. You see, we used to think the universe meant everything, all that there was. But now they're telling us that there are billions and billions of galaxies with billions and billions of stars. So the human race took the most powerful telescope ever made and pointed at absolutely nothing simply because we were curious. And what we found was that in this space of nothing was all. A whole lot more than we ever would have expected. Caused me to think of day number three. Then God made two great lights, the greater day to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Sorry, it's, it should be lesser light. But then there's this little tag. It ends with a complete end of the sentence, the lesser light to rule the night, period. But then there's a new sentence and it's almost as if it's a parenthesis, almost a by the way. And what does it say? He made the stars also. By the way, I threw out some stars. Can you imagine the Lord who called into being everything? 
And then can you imagine this same God willing to humiliate himself and be born in a stable, in a stinky cattle shed? We sung this morning, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. You know, there's a super giant star named Antares, 390 times the size of our sun. Can you comprehend that? 390 times the size of our sun, which is 1.25 million times the size of earth. Think about that one for a second. You can see it in the constellation Scorpio, but if you took a hollow rubber ball, so if we had a rubber ball here and we could just slice it in half, and there was a thin layer, but the majority of the whole thing was hollow. If you took a rubber ball and you cut it in half and this ball represented this star, Antares, do you know what would fit inside of this one star? Well, let me try and outline it this way for you. Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars could all fit inside and rotate around their orbit, including the sun itself, all within the inside of this one star. Here's another depiction of Antares there. That's the big ball that you see. You see the orbit of Mars, the dotted line, but then you see up there in the top, that little speck. That's what we call the sun. That's why we wear sunscreen. And there's still a bigger star. Antares is 390 times larger than the sun. But here, there's another star, I'm told, that's 2,700 times larger than our sun. Who made all that? And then in the biblical account, it's just, oh, and he made the stars too. This time of the year, we remember the one who humbled himself and came as a baby in this cold and smelly stable. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars that he made with his own hands go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. Our hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Jesus Christ, Lord of the vast universe and beyond and beyond and beyond. And I almost sound like an echo, echo, echo. Maker of those billions and billions of stars. And with such ease. And to think that this same God would humble himself. You would think pomp and circumstance and all the rest. But no, he comes in the form of a helpless baby. You've seen other things be born before, I would imagine. I remember as a young man seeing goats being born and how they just kind of plop out there. And within just a few minutes, you start your stopwatch and they're up there and they're walking. And before they're even trotting around, within like five minutes. Anybody seen that happen with a human baby? I know of some mothers that would like for that crying baby to hop out of the crib and trot over to her bed. No, babies are helpless, extremely helpless. And this was the plan to be Emmanuel, God with us. How? How was this to be? I hope you brought your Bibles. I invite you to turn with me to these well-known verses. Luke, the first chapter. Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're beginning in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, we'll see later, this is really in reference to Elizabeth, but now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Last week, we talked about the 2300-day prophecy given to Daniel by another angel, who you will recall was Gabriel. I imagine he's been anxious to bring this message as well. And so Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Betrothed. Marriage consisted of two distinct stages, engagement followed by the marriage itself, 
An engagement involved a formal agreement initiated by a father seeking a wife for his son. Upon payment of a purchase price to the bride's father, which you say, what's that about? Well, you know, he's gaining a daughter. Her father's losing a daughter. And so there's this bride price to be negotiated. And so upon payment of the purchase price and a written agreement and oath by the son, the couple was then engaged. And an engagement was legally binding. Any sexual conduct by the daughter with another person was considered adultery. And it couldn't be broken for any other reason but through divorce. And so the parties during this period were considered husband and wife, even though they had not yet consummated the marriage. At this time, Mary was likely no more than 15 years old. Some say maybe only 12 or 13 or 14. That was the typical age. So continuing on, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled. Another word or translation for that could be was reasoning, was deliberating. She was pondering, how can this be? And she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary. I like how he calls her by name. Mary, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary responds to this angel and says, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God... How much? Nothing is impossible. Let's suppose that Mary was 13, 14, 15 years of age when she received this news. And let's suppose the whole world is watching, I'm sure that they were, and trembling at this child, you could say. This very young woman's consent to surrender her littleness to God's infinite love. So tremendous, but so passive. She was really not to do anything, but to let something be done to her. She was not asked to renounce anything, but to receive an incredible gift. And the only question she asks is, how can this be? She doesn't ask why, as we oftentimes do. Why me? Why do I have to do this? Why is God allowing this kind of thing to happen? Why doesn't God do something? No, she doesn't ask any why questions. She certainly could have. Likely, she wouldn't have understood the answers, though. Likely, we wouldn't always understand God's answers to us either. In fact, three and a half years, and the disciples still didn't understand what Jesus was here to do. But Jesus had to be born so that he could die to show us what love is. But Mary doesn't ask why, just how. Okay, how? How's this going to work? How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel reassures her as to how. And the simple idea that with God, all things are possible. 
Aren't the problems of life, your and my problems of life, truly that simple? Simple recognition that God is, in fact, in control of all things. All things are possible with God. Therefore, if he has not changed my circumstance, he has a plan for it. To redeem me, to redeem others, to glorify him. And I can rest in the fact that his ways are, in fact, higher than mine. All things are possible. So Mary asks how, the angel explains, and then all of heaven eagerly awaits her response. Will she give of her body and soul unconditionally? Will she give him her daily life? And read what she says here now with me in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Really, a better translation of maidservant is slave girl. Behold, the slave girl of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. How differently things would be if Eve would have responded in similar ways to what God had instructed of her. Eve refused the given. Mary received the given. Eve grasped for the not given. Mary relinquished the not given. Eve said, be it unto me according to my word. Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word. Eve said, my will be done. Mary said, thy will be done. Eve declared her independence. Mary declared her dependence. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Eve said, it's my thing I'm interested in. Mary said, it's his. Eve said, no, Lord. Mary said, yes. Eve was ambitious. Mary surrendered. Eve was in opposition to God. Mary was a cooperator. She leaned on God and not her own understanding. Certainly, she could not fully understand all that this would entail in that moment. She certainly was unaware of all that would be required. Yes, she was wondering about how she would explain this to Joseph. And then what would she tell her parents? Much less, what would the town people say? And she knew full well that the penalty for unfaithfulness would be that they would stone her to death. Yes, this was highly inconvenient, but the reality was in that moment, she didn't know the half of it. And how could she? At that moment, she did not know of the nearly 100 mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem and how she'd have to make that journey very pregnant. Stop the donkey again, Joseph. My bladder's full. Wasn't it just five minutes? I'm sorry. We'll stop the donkey. And then after this long journey, days and days and days and days, soreness, no doubt, to get to the small town and there's no bed to lay her head upon. Have you ever been traveling a long day and you've been looking forward? You thought you had a reservation. There is no reservation. What are we going to do? Should we just sleep in the car? And here you have this young, pregnant girl and she's tired and she's weary and there's no place available for her to have her child. You would think someone would see her in her condition. You would think someone would say, oh my goodness, please don't be out here. Please come inside, at least sleep in the living room couch that we have. You would think someone bringing their donkey or their animal to the barn would see what was going on and offer some help, but nobody offers. And the baby is born in a cattle stall next to animals and things that animals have discarded. But even then, as she would have held that newborn, she had no understanding truly of the life he would live, the constant persecution he would be under, the bad mouthing, the backbiting, the condemnation, the judging of his motives and his authority, and yes, his illegitimate birth. She knew nothing about how a sword would pierce her heart as they would treat her son, her precious little boy, innocent, God-fearing, thoughtful, helpful, sweet little boy, how they would treat her son like the worst of criminals, not just worthy of death, but the humiliating and excruciatingly painful death on a cross and those perfect hands that she once held, her thumb in the, th- in the palm of his little hand as he grabbed so tight 
that same hand would be pierced through with nails. And the flippant accusation that would be made, he saved others himself, he cannot save. And yet while it was in jest, it couldn't have been more true. He could not have saved you and me and saved himself. He esteemed us, the sinful human race, the same group of people who were doing this to him. He esteemed them as better than himself. Yet how could Mary know any of those things at that time? I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. Again, verses that you know well. Philippians 2, verse 3, we read, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a slave. That's what a bondservant is. And coming in the likeness of men. Friends, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, is another way that could be translated. Some say, or have translated this, he annihilated himself, meaning he utterly destroyed to be made nothing. You know, we live in a world that's constantly talking about equality, aren't we? You've got to have it. You've got to stand for your rights. You have to protest for your rights. You've got to get your own thing. What anybody else is going to get, you have to get your hands on some too. We're all equal, so we're all interchangeable. So I'm not going to be your slave. I'm not going to submit to anyone or anything. What am I supposed to do? Be a doormat? Well, a doormat really is something, isn't it? But Jesus made himself to be nothing. A slave. A slave is someone who has no identity. A slave doesn't speak of their rights. A slave has no plans of their own. A slave is simply there to do someone else's thing at their beck and call and at their command. That's a slave. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What humility, what surrender, not my will, but your will. Friends, are there jobs that we think are beneath us? And if so, who do we think we are? Do we think we're better than Jesus? More valuable than the Son of God? There was a newly married couple. They'd been in a big fight. They were separated, not divorced, but they were separated. He felt that she had to apologize. She felt that he needed to apologize. And they weren't talking to the other until the other apologized. So at a stalemate, neither would budge. Friends, what needs to happen in that situation? I would submit that someone has to die. I mean, here we have the God of all the universe who created all things, who knows all things, who sustains all things, humble himself and become obedient to death, even the death of a cross. And the challenge to each of us is right there in verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say strive. It doesn't say push. It doesn't say protest. It doesn't say prove. It doesn't require heroics. It simply says, let. And what did Mary say? Let it be according to your word. Let God do in me the impossible. Let God do something that I cannot do. Let God do something that I cannot understand or fathom or calculate or explain. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let it be done to me according to your word. In young Mary, we see a death to self that day. A death to her plans and her aspirations, her goals, her desires. 
And she said, let it be according to your word. And the same question, I believe, is posed to us today. Will we let it be done to us, to me, according to his word? Does this, in fact, have authority in my life? Or is it just a helpful suggestion that I can pick and choose from? You know, Herod felt threatened by Jesus, so much so that he wanted all the babies in the land to be killed. In fact, Herod was good at that. He killed all kinds of people that were close to him, his wife and his sons and all kinds of things. He was part Jewish, and so the the phrase was that it was better to be his pig than his family members or his children. And so because he was so nervous, he was so afraid, he was so threatened that Jesus would take his throne, all the babies in the land have to die. In a similar way, the chief priests felt threatened as well as the words of Jesus cut across their pride, cut across their presupposed ideas. And so when Pilate said, to the crowd in Matthew 19, verse 14, behold your king. And the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. It was the chief priest that said, we have no king but Caesar. That's right. Somebody's listening. Precious, this whole sermon's about babies. Chime in, guys. You see, Caesar only required a few things. Pay taxes, and then everybody had to add them to their list of gods. But there was a special caveat for the Jewish race. They just had to pray for Caesar. They didn't have to say, well, he's our God, and so on. And so Caesar's easy to worship. We pay our taxes. We pray for Caesar. But Jesus wants everything. Everything, everything, everything? I don't think so. No, 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 no. We have no king but Caesar, said the leaders of the church in Christ's day. It was easier to serve Caesar than to give your all to Christ. Yet going back to where it starts, little Mary was willing to be surrendered. Let it be done to me according to your word. And this question again comes to each one of us this Christmas season. How will we respond to this little child named Jesus? Is he a threat to everything that we want? A threat to my wishes and my desires? A threat to my plans and my ideas? Or is this little baby welcome in my heart today as King of kings and Lord of lords? To you and to me, is this Christ, is he also wonderful? Is he my counselor, my mighty God and everlasting father, prince of peace? Is that who Jesus is? to me. I saw something new in this verse this week. We hear it this time of year all the time. But when we get perplexed, when something comes up across our way, we don't understand what to do. What are we quick to do but pick up the phone to call somebody to ask, what do you think? This has happened and so on and so forth. And around and around the barn we go to try and figure out what to do. And then right here in this verse, it says, Jesus is my counselor. I don't have to go to everybody else. I just have to spend time in the word with connecting with the God of the universe who knows better than any other contact I have in my phone. I don't need skin. I don't need somebody to talk to. I can just spend time in the word and spend time on my knees and he will be my counselor. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for counseling. There certainly is a place for counseling, but I think you know what I'm saying. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Yes, Mary surrendered to the pregnancy, to the questioning, to the unknown, to the joy, and to the heartache. And in some way, God is asking the same of us here today. And in the process, God's going to cut across our personal preferences. In some way, God is going to call you to be a servant, or shall we say a slave, and perhaps to do a humble job for which you're not going to be thanked, and it's not going to be noticed. But the question is, is there some area, some way that you're being disobedient? Something that the Lord has been impressing upon me that I'm not doing. Some refusal of the cross. If so, I need to remember the cattle shed. Remember who it was that came and why he came. And remember the young girl who said yes. It was a labor 
of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, every beat of her beautiful heart was a labor of love. Will we labor for Christ in love today? Dear Lord, Mary surrendered to you, to your plans, to your ways, to your timing, to your power to perform the impossible in her. And that simple surrender was her gift. It was a labor of love. And those things you ask of us today as well. Let it be unto us. Let it be unto me according to thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.